Welcome to Kolisha, the podcast that gives Orthodox women a voice. Welcome back to Kolisha. So this week, I am so excited for this episode. I am actually joined by three different guests, which is a first for me, but I feel like the topic we're going to talk about is so important to give different and varied perspectives on. And so I invited three different women to join me. And the topic this week is racism, particularly racism within the from community um, and how we can address that. And of course, as everyone knows, anybody who's not been living under a rock knows that racism has been a very hot topic over the last few weeks. Um, in the media, we've seen some protests about racism. Um, and so it sort of brought to light what we can do um, in terms of our own feelings, in terms of addressing how we can educate our children um, and talking about this topic. Is it an issue? Uh, is it something that we should spend time on? Um, and is it something we should be doing a little personal work on as well? And so to join me, I invited three women who share something really unique, which is that they're all from women of color. Um, and each of them have their own unique background and story to share. And I'm really, really excited to introduce them. So I'm joined by Ilana Yigby, who is a Brooklyn-based performance artist. She's a writer and a producer, and she's a wife and a bonus mom. Welcome, Ilana. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. And then Batya Dalmore, she's actually joining us from Israel. She's a mom. She's a creator of Be Holistic Reflexology. And she's a Jerusalem living pacifist. I love that. Welcome, Batya. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here. And Yafi Newman, Yafi is a native Floridian. She now lives in Israel with her French, American, and Israeli husband. So I'm sure that's interesting. <laughs> she's traveled the world with her husband, backpacking for close to a year. And she hopes to return home soon. So she's here now in the United States, thanks to COVID. Welcome, Yafi. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you all for being here. So, all right, I wanted to start with um, a little background on each of you. Each of you do share two very unique things, but of course, each of you are here um, with a very unique story and your own background. So uh, starting with Batya, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, anything um, you want our listeners to know about you? Yeah, sure. Um... First of all, I'm really excited to um, be on here and and just create um, an open, safe space to to have um, a, you know these conversations that a, a lot of us have probably already been having, or been thinking about having, or wondering how to even have them um, with ourselves, with our community, with our friends. Um, so thank you so much. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. I've been living in Jerusalem, Israel for the past six years, been married for the past uh, two and a half, almost three years. I also have um, a one and a half year old baby girl. And um, really, I just felt so, I mean, to speak about, you know, recent events and, and just the whole world really coming to um, a huge shift. I feel like I um, am a part of that and I feel so passionate right now during these times and so um, 
I mean, in awe and in also shock, like horrifying shock sometimes. But um, I'm just, I'm just really grateful that um, we can join in on spaces like this to to start the to get the conversation going because it's just much needed, and um, I think it's been just way too long. And let's do you know some work, <laughs> roll up our sleeves. Agreed. Um, Alana, what do you want the audience to know about you before we get started? Um, okay, before I let the audience know about me, I just have to say hearing that your daughter is a year and a half, you're a year and a half, but it reminds me how long I haven't been in Israel, which is kind of sad. Um, but I can say um, about me, um, theater and art is a way that I've also um, seen myself as an activist I think it's the strongest activism that I have and I I think it's the strongest healing power that I have and so that's something that I've always been connected to these times are a little bit more difficult for me now as an artist because of social distancing and because of the pandemic Um, my theater company has chosen to do a lot of things at a distance but it's it's hard for me to like mentally wrap my head around that I'm really grateful that they're able to push through, but I haven't really been a part of any of the productions that they've done during the pandemic. Um, And I think that a lot of the work that I've been doing right now has been at home with my family, which is a complete shift. Um, Getting married during the pandemic and becoming a bonus mom during the pandemic has been one of the greatest gifts and greatest challenges of my life. So that's kept me busy over these few months. Wow, I didn't realize that you got married so recently. Mazeltev. Thank you. I'm That's so nice. And Yafi, um, what what would you like to share about your background? Um, what can you tell our listeners about you? Um, so as you stated in the beginning, I grew up here in South Florida. Um, I was born and raised into a very large, I guess you could say modern Orthodox community down here. Um, so to me, this conversation, everything that we're having right now is very important because it's the two most important halves of my identity, I guess I would say. Um, The Orthodox community that I grew up in was probably the bigger part of my identity for most of my life, but the older I got and the more experiences I amassed and accumulated, the more, I guess you could say, my ethnicity and the part of me that had nothing to do with Judaism became less and less of something that I could ignore or not deal with. Um, so yeah, I'm just very happy to be doing this conversation here as, um, these are really both parts of who I am. Awesome. I'm really happy that you agreed to be here. Um, and I just want to say, you know, thanks for being here. Um, I think that lately because racism has been a hot topic, um, a lot of people do want to hear from women who have experiences like yours. Um, and they want to know how they can address this issue, how they can do some personal work, you know, but at the same time, like you guys are your own unique people who have your own unique stories, who don't really owe anybody anything um, in terms of like being an educator. It's like someone walked up to me and said like, hey, teach me about anti-Semitism." you know, like I could choose to or not. So the fact that you're really willing to speak up and, and educate and use your experiences um, is very much appreciated. So I just wanted to express that. Um, and I want to start with a very basic question. So Yafi, 
do you think racism is a problem in the from community? Um, 100%. I think that it's very multifaceted, which is why I think it's very important for people to try and be as open-minded and sensitive on all sides when it comes to this topic. I think that there's certainly overt racism that exists within the Jewish community. Um, but I think almost the bigger problem, because to me, someone who's going to be overtly racist and say just disgusting things, that's clear that like they have a problem. That's clear that that's a person who isn't interested in learning or hearing or even just being respectful, you know? Um, if someone were to run around and on a daily basis treat you or say disgusting slurs or whatnot because you were Jewish, at a certain point you would just be like, that's a person who isn't interested in hearing, you know? But I think that the bigger problem is less so that because I'd like to think that that's not the majority of people today. I think that people understand that on a basic or surface level, at least, that being racist isn't okay. I think the bigger problem that the Jewish community and especially the from community faces today is, I guess, what I would describe as passive racism um, or subtle racism, inadvertent racism, however you'd like to label it. I think that that's the bigger problem because I think a lot of times those things are either not done intentionally or not done with malicious intent or perhaps even said as a joke and the repercussions or the degree of how harmful or painful that can be to another person are just completely not on the person who's speaking's radar. So I think that racism definitely exists in the firm community, the Jewish community as a whole today. I think it's a lot more of like not so noticeable things to those who might not be sensitive to the topic. So can you give me an example um, of like this passive racism that you mentioned, either something that you experienced or something you know of someone else or just general things that tend to happen? Sure. Um, so my husband and I were, we were recently by friends of ours and my husband was talking about this topic because we were talking about exactly this and he was describing what he saw. My husband's Caucasian. He is not in any way a black man <laughs> and he was describing how of course when we dated and being with me there were things that he became more aware of in relation to racism but that he more or less didn't really get it because it is something to not no one can fully get unless you are in someone else's shoes and he said that the moment that kind of really hit home for him was that we once went out um, with a group of friends and some of the people in the crowd were older than us and one person was speaking to my husband, an older man, a really, really nice man, not someone who you, if you ask me face value, do you think Mr. So-and-so is racist? I would say 1000% not. This man has welcomed me into his home many times, me and my husband, um, really a great family. And this man and my husband were talking business and he owns some sort of construction thing. And my husband was asking when you run into a lot more smaller jobs, not you're building a, a building, but now the building's built and you have issues with electricity or plumbing or whatnot. What happens? Are you the one who goes on site and you fix it or not? My husband's very interested in this field. And so the man looked at him and I was right there. I was hearing it, but I wasn't focused on that conversation. I was in a different conversation. And I can tell you 1000% this man did not say this with any malice in his voice. I don't think he even said it thinking at all. And he was like, oh, well, I just hire a bunch of schwarzes. So they come, they do the dirty work, they leave, and that's it. And my husband was floored. 
when we left, he turned to me and he's like, I'm so sorry you have to hear that. That was so insensitive. I can't believe no, no, no. And for me, it was something that I heard, but it went so over my head because I'm so, I'm so used to that. Um, and it was like a joke, you know, it wasn't something that the man said angrily, but I think that what happens is that an example like that. Oftentimes when I'll share that with people, they'll be like, oh, well, he didn't mean it in a negative way. He was just saying it as the word black. Schwarza means black in Yiddish. And I'm well aware of that. But when you're talking about a menial job and you're describing how it is derogatory, it is a job that would be beneath you. And you speak in a tone that is derogatory. That says something. That's the context of how you're using that word. Um, and that's something that happens all the time. Um, another thing in terms of like passive or subtle racism would be things relating to questioning a person's background, I guess. Um, I've had a lot of times where people have said like, oh, that's so nice that you grew up in so-and-so community. So when did you join that community? Oh, you were born there? Oh, when did your parents join the community? Oh, that year. But when did your parents, you know, like really join the community? Like kind of like trying to say it without saying it. When did you become Jewish? Assuming that it must be that there's no possible way that there could be Jews of color who were ever born into this. Um, and it's things like that. It's not things like people screaming the N-word in my face, although that has happened. It's a lot more like quiet, subtle things that are sometimes hard and uncomfortable to call out. And you know, what's interesting is that you mentioned like, oh, I'm so used to this, but my husband was floored, which to me kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, for people who are not quote unquote in your skin, like we may not be aware of it ourselves. Um, you know, and that sort of leaves room for this kind of thing to happen because clearly for someone to say something like that, that means that he has certain opinions that are under the surface, you know, which probably he has enough um, seichel and, you know, not to say things that are overtly racist, particularly in front of a black woman, but then obviously if that comes out, then there's something there, you know. Um, but yeah, so what do you think? Do you think racism is a problem in the front community? And what have you experienced? Um, yeah, I think I would agree with a little bit with what Yafi said that there definitely is racism within the front community, but it's very like plays out in, in, in different ways and microaggressions are like she touched on about people asking, oh, you know, like, how are you Jewish? Or, um, oh, you, you, for me in Israel, um, as an English speaker and being a Jew of color, they automatically say like, oh, you speak good English, where are you from? Oh, okay, you're from there, so why are you here? Oh, are you, like, are you, like, how could you be Jewish and be black? The straight out, they will ask me that. They say that straight or, to your face? Yeah, yeah, or say like, oh, like, you speak English, but you, you're black, so where are you actually from? Like, how can you, like, they either think that I'm, like, I get a lot of black Hebrew, like Demona, people from Demona, or Ethiopian, also I get, I get um, confused as Ethiopian all the time, um, which they have their own, like, whole set of struggles that they, they deal with here, and I've even, like, been subjected to that, like, I was and the shook and I was looking over at fruit and, you know, trying to pick, you know, the, the nicest 
one for Shabbos, and um, he was like, don't pick over my fruit. This is in Ethiopia. And I was just like, whoa, I'm not even Ethiopian. And even even that, it's like, why would you say that to someone? It, it, like, is being Ethiopian bad? I had to really, like, come to an understanding of what um, what actual racism looks like in the Israeli culture. And then also just looking back on my time in America, that was like, it was really difficult at some times. I mean, I remember um, looking to rent an apartment in Flatbush and um, I, I spoke over the phone with the woman who, who was looking and it. This is a religious area in Flatbush, like off of Avenue J like right smack in the middle of the from community there. And we had like, you know, talked over the phone, I think, you know, a few times and we, we closed the deal. We set a move in date. And um, I even like came to, oh, that's what I, I came to look at the place and put my, my, my first money, you know, down. And it was pretty much like the deal was sealed. I just needed to, you know, come look at it. I've seen pictures, whatever. And I showed up and she was like, are you the same person I talked with on the phone? And I'm like, yeah, but yeah. And she's like, well, you don't look Jewish. She said that straight to my face. And I don't do business with people who are not Jewish. And you definitely, you sound Jewish, but you don't look Jewish. Um, and I thought you were Jewish over the phone. Um, and I was just like blown away. I was taken aback. I mean, one, I'm a convert. So for me, my Jewish identity is so, it's like, like Yaffe said, it's, it's so multifaceted. It's so like many things that make up, you know, why I chose this, why I'm living in Israel, um, my connection to Judaism, my spirituality, everything. And I feel like that was just all being like, question and like wanting to be exposed in in a way that was not really um done with tact or empathy um but i mean so those are just some of the experiences that i've had so i definitely feel like there is an issue um in the jewish community and i and i feel i'm starting to understand maybe why you know because like i just haven't like that in me like I just want to find a commonality I want to find a solution I want to try to understand it so that I could have these conversations and, and and approach it from a place of like understanding and love but also like to uproot it and and say like listen that's not okay and it's so hard like even this past Shabbat like someone at the Shabbat table like said kind of like a slang like a, a slang word that I don't use as a, a black person but it is very like much used within the black community it's become like a term of endearment it's a weird way for us to like kind of make right that word being used in the past during slavery and being a very much derogatory term and now we use it in our rap and our music and our culture it's very weird and I feel that it's honestly like us dealing with trauma and making it some way a culture 
experience or something. Maybe that's how we're healing. You know how, I guess, Lahabdil, not to compare, but some people like make weird jokes about the Holocaust or something. Um, like people who they've like actually been, their family has suffered in there. There's obviously like generational trauma there, but they say like, this is just a way for us to like, I don't know. I think it's, it's a human thing to do that. But anyways, so he, he said that word and I was just like, whoa. And I, I like went through my head of like, should I say something? Should I not say something? But then I'll be that person that said something. And then I feel like that would create so much divide in the room of like, should she have said that? Should she have, should she have not have said that? And it's just like, why do, why do I even have to like go through that thought process? Like, uh it's just like those little microaggressions that that happen and that come up the way that you know i can i'll I'll walk into a synagogue especially if i'm in america and i'll definitely get the looks you know especially if i'm the only person in the room that looks like me which is um very often the case um and, and and I can just tell, you know, like you pick up on those on those little things and it makes you uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And I don't feel like I should have to question like my belonging or my identity to something that I feel so connected with, um, such as my Judaism and my spirituality and, and Hashem and practicing it. Um You know, I feel so terrible about what that story that you said about what the woman said to you in Flatbush, like it, I mean, to me, that's like just a horrifying thing to have to hear and go through. And the fact that someone could be so like sheltered and blind to not know that like you could have a woman who happens to be black and Jewish at the same time that like, it didn't even occur to her that that could be a possibility. I mean, to me, that's like a part of the underlying problem, the fact that we don't have enough exposure to differences, you know, enough exposure to different types of people, even within the from community, there's so many different kinds of Jews, like the fact that the first thing she saw you, and it didn't even occur to her that there's a possibility that you could be Jewish is kind of really, really sad. Um, and right. I, I just feel terrible that you had to experience that. I, I, and I always would like just kind of try to write it off in my head and say like, and try to give the person the benefit of the doubt. And, and it was really hard for me. I, I, especially in Israel, when I first got here, you know, I would be in areas like Beit Shemesh or Ramadash Shkol, and I would just feel like there's so many eyes on me in that community. And like, I don't want that. And, and I think it was, it is due to a lack of, cross-cultural education and experiences like like you touched upon and and also kind of people's preconceived notions people I think who are they have some type of framework in their head or you know that they just have have been exposed to from their education and their experiences and their upbringing and their childhood and um I think that some people maybe don't know or they don't understand that those, what they say or, you know, comes from a racist framework. You know, it's, it's not an excuse by any means, but in some cases it might be ignorance. And, you know, there really shouldn't be an excuse for ignorance because like you said, if, if that exists, then it's because of a lack of cross-cultural exposure, or education and things like that. And, you know, 
Um, Alana, I'm really interested to hear from you on this because you live in Crown Heights, right? Yes, I do. So that's a really interesting community when it comes to this because, of course, there's the, the Chabad Jewish community living alongside a very large African-American community. <clears throat> um, and there's been a lot of racial tensions going back for many, many years in Crown Heights. So what do you think about this? How do you, how do you feel um, about you know, the racism in the from community and, um, well, actually I didn't ask you this. Do you think racism is a problem in the from community and especially in your community, how does that play out for you? Um, okay, so do I think racism is a problem in the from community? Yes, um, but I don't think it's any more of a problem than it is in other communities um, throughout America. You know, I think most of us in this, uh, panel have lived in very diverse places, but I think in a lot of America, there are places where there are people who are not tolerant of people of color, of Jews, of people who are different than them, however you want to categorize it. And I don't think the problem is systemic, but I think that it's learned. I think that, you know, particularly you know, Chabad is not a unique community in that it's a Hasidish community that's in the heart of a very diverse area where people are insular. So you have Hasidish Jews and you have um, people of color, you have hipsters, you have all these people who don't interact pretty much ever. Um, maybe on the bus, on the subway, excuse me, or, you know, passing by kind of thing. But in more modern communities, and communities that aren't as insular, it's possible to, for a, you know, a person of color who may or may not be Jewish, I mean, I'm focusing more on people who aren't Jewish, to interact with a person who is Jewish. And, you know, it's possible to see different types of, of Jews and different types of, um, and different types of people of color. And, you know, unfortunately, it's it's harder to happen in an insular community, um, and so that that really doesn't help anything as far as stereotypes on both sides. You know, there's there's stereotypes that I feel um, Jews in the community have towards non-Jews in the community, and I feel like there are stereotypes that non-Jews in the community have towards Jews in the community, and it's. It's a cycle that's really hard to break. A lot of times I see that it ends up getting broken later on. I know people who grew up who very openly, you know, now everything's like open and people are on social media and people are saying like, I think this and I think that and I think this and I think that. And a lot of the response that I'm seeing from people that I know personally who've grown up in Crown Heights, um, who are around, you know, in their 30s, are saying they grew up with racist thoughts, um, towards people of color, but they don't have those thoughts anymore. And most of those people did not know a person of color. The only people of color they saw were people who were catcalling them, you know, on the street. So it makes it very difficult to develop a positive attitude. And, you know, a lot of times people of color or non-Jews in the community are also seeing the worst of our community. So you have two, you know, and it sticks out, like, you know, you have a bad experience. I had a bad experience with my phone uh, provider today. And it really messed up my day. And it really made me feel like I don't wanna have this phone provider. Now I've had this phone provider for more than two decades. 
This is the first time this issue has happened, but this stuck out in my mind. Why? Because I'm a human. So now all I can think about is how annoyed I am at them and how they're trying to get me and how, you know, I pay them so much money and they don't appreciate and they have bad customer service. And I think that that happens in our communities. That happens in our communities when we see, you know, if you're a Jew and you see, you know, a non-Jew doing a certain behavior, you think that is the behavior of people who look like that. And when you're, um, you know, vice versa, like, I think it's just, you remember the thing. I mean, they say it in customer service, like you remember the thing that went wrong. So I think we have to start um, reprogramming ourselves so that we are less subjective about these things and, and have less biases and not to the extent that we are like making ourselves unsafe and putting ourselves in, you know, vulnerable positions that we don't need to be in and that aren't for us. But I think just to know, like with my neighbors, I feel like we have a very good relationship. My neighbors are not Jewish and they're people of color. And, you know, my family looks very different. I'm the only person of color in my family. I have three bonus daughters and a husband who, um, you know, they can't understand what it's like to be a person of color. And, you know, most people when we're walking down the street can't understand how we're even a family. It's very confusing for anyone who looks at us, for a Jew who looks at us, for a non-Jew who looks at us, a person of color, a person who's not of color. It's just like very overwhelming and confusing. Um, to the extent of myself experiencing racism within my community or other communities, it's been mostly passive. I mean, I do have to say I became Chabad through marriage. Um, although I've lived in Crown Heights for quite some time, I was not um, following Chabad Minhagim. I wasn't so enmeshed in the community. I was, you know, more um, a part of social gatherings. I do job in a, in a shul, which is technically a Chabad house, but there are all kinds of people who go there. So I think I'm not so aware of the um, extent of the struggles within the community from a personal standpoint, but I've heard them from my friends. I've heard them from people who've grown up in this community and other communities. I mean, the, the most blatant thing I think that happens to me is that most of the time people just um, assume that I'm not Jewish, no matter how I'm dressed, no matter how, um, you know, I, what situation it is. Like it's, you know, the funniest example that I always give to people is, Davening at a particular shul, um, a Nate's minion on Shavuot, and someone there, I don't know if they needed the lights on or, or whatever, but there were very few people there, and they, they were told that someone was there who wasn't Jewish. And for me, that was laughable because, um, one, they made the assumption, it wasn't even like a question. Two, it was the least likely place that I think you would find a non-Jew. I think a kiddish on Shabbos, sure, is this bar mitzvah happening or, you know, some sort of social event. Maybe there's somebody there who was invited by someone's coworker, like whatever. But this was not the setting um, that I would imagine, you know, at 5 a.m. that you would just randomly find, you know, a non-Jew there. Um, so things like that, for me, they're laughable most times. Um, and I do have a lot of chutzpah. I mean, I've grown up my whole life being the only person who looked like me or was like me in any circumstance. Um, a person of color, 
I was often the only person of color in the entire school that I went to, like schools that had nine grades in them. Um, I'm an artist. So like, I've always been different. You know, I'm in a part of theater companies. I'm the only observant Jew. Like I'm used to kind of having to explain myself or assuming that no one knows my perspective or no one knows where I'm coming from. And so I feel like I don't get as exhausted by it as my peers who look like me and are Jews. But at the same time, I, I get it. And I think it, it motivates me probably to speak more because I'm not so exhausted. So I feel like, okay, if I'm not exhausted, that means I'm the one who needs to be shouldering more of the conversation because it's just not going to happen if people don't do it. And it's not meant for everybody to do it. You know, for people who feel like it's going to break them down or make them uh, bring up too much trauma or it's going to be difficult, I don't think it's appropriate. And that's why I don't think it's appropriate to necessarily like just strike up a conversation with someone at the Shabbat table about things that are difficult. You know, I wouldn't strike up a conversation with someone about a traumatic event. I mean, even now, like in Crown Heights, we lost a lot of people to Corona. I'm not just going to ask someone about their experience losing their relatives or, you know, how is it? I'm not going to strike up a conversation about many things because I just don't think it's appropriate. But if you do know someone who's open to having a conversation, or if you have the ability to get your hands on a podcast, then I think people should, should take that opportunity. And I think, you know, the, the dialogue is so important. Like it's one thing that like, I'm so passionate about because I, I noticed it in myself and you, you touched upon this, but like, I grew up in two quite insular film communities. Um, and I really did not have exposure to a lot of varied type of people, culturally, religiously, like the vast majority of people I interacted with growing up were white and were from Jews. Um, and the people that we interacted with outside of that framework were people that weren't part of our communities or close friends, you know? Um, and then once I got a little older, I went to college, I joined the workforce, I started working with people like, I actually worked in um, a very multicultural uh, hospital in my previous job. And just getting to know people as human beings who have had different experiences than you who have different cultural backgrounds, different religions, different skin colors, whatever it might be. It gives you this, this feeling of like, it's hard to put into words, but like you, you suddenly start to understand like, Hey, this person is different than me on so many levels, but we also have so much in common that we could um, bond on. And like, it gives you a very, uh, it, it's a humanizing thing that I think many in the from community, especially more insular from communities are very much lacking. And it's not an excuse, but it's a possible explanation as to why there are these issues. Because if you're not going to expose your children to people who are different, then they're never going to know how to deal with people who are different. And they're never going to be able to understand those differences. And of course you can never fully understand someone else's experience, but you can at least find common ground. Um, and that's why this is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about is like opening up the dialogue, opening the conversation. And I think like in today's um, political atmosphere very much, the, the tendency is to shut down conversation um, and to like 
be very polarized. Like you're either all the way on the right or all the way on the left. And there's no room for us to discuss common ground because if you're pro this and I'm anti this, then that's it. We're different. I can't talk to you. You know what I mean? But even on a political standpoint, like when, when you talk to people, you almost always walk away from the conversation having found common ground and having found something that you can relate to the other person with. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes to um, like understanding there are differences, the conversation is so important and the sheltering is so, so damaging. Um, Baya, you had something to add about that. Yeah, um, I do. Just to touch on what you were talking about, um, what it sounded like to me was um, the colorblindness. Um, or just even to say like, oh, we're not white, we're Jews, so we're not racist. It's kind of like, it takes racism off the, I mean, it takes race off the table in a way that I think doesn't allow to have that, that experience or those hard conversations that we need to have. It kind of says like, oh, okay, so that's not my world or I, oh, it's, it's too political. I've been hearing that so much from sorry, my white friends, or even my white family, Jewish friends. Um, it's like, oh, it's too political and we can't talk about it now. Um, I'm not racist. I'm a good person. I have friends that are black um, or even like in relation to marriage, like, you, you know, my sister-in-law's black or this or that. And I think that it's hard because it kind of makes it about the individual. I think to to define racism as it's a conscious individual choice that somebody makes against the other person exempts people from a system. I have to disagree when Alana says that she doesn't believe that it's systemic. I think that people like for your example, where you come from, it's so insular and you don't have those cross-cultural experiences and therefore lack the education. And it's like, we have to ask ourselves, well, why is that happening? And what is the function of that? What does that, because that's happening, what does it cause, you know? And it's systemic because it's it's happening, the racism is happening in the Jewish world and in, in, the, in the larger world in education, um, look up school to prison pipeline. It's happening in our voting, look up voter suppression. There's a lot of that going on in like, you know, states like where um, Yafi's from in Florida. Um, even with healthcare, it's, it's, if you just look at the statistics, if you look at the numbers and we start having these conversations and you start sharing stories, not to compare, you know, um, different events in history about people in, in them sharing the story of what happened. But I, I say that to say, to share and hear stories because it's a part of history. And as Jews, we know history matters. And as humanity, we know that history matters. And we want to, and we want to look at these things and say, how are my ideas or my beliefs or, or um, the framework that I'm unconsciously a part of how is that protecting the current racial hierarchy? I, I really believe that there's such inherent value in experiences and perspectives of the other. 
I agree. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, you've given me like a really good um, opportunity to talk about the next topic that I wanted to discuss, um, because you bring up colorblindness. And um, I have to say, like, for me, this is kind of a, a new, a new sort of thing um, that I've been hearing about a lot. And um, I kind of always worked off of the assumption that good to be colorblind because, you know, then you assume everyone's the same, everyone's equal. And, you know, you don't focus on differences, you focus on how are we all the same. And um, personally, I have a six-year-old daughter. We've never really talked about the topic of racism much because I kind of assumed it would be better to not focus on people's differences. Um, but now I've been hearing a lot about, um, about seeing color rather than being colorblind. And I'm really interested in, in exploring that. And like, I'll tell you a cute story that happened. I, I thought it cute because it's my kid. Um, but we went, um, she broke her arm last year and we went to like an urgent care and there was a super nice black guy who helped us out. He put a sling on her arm and you know, he gave her like a, a good experience for a little girl. Um, and then when we left, we were driving away and she's like, mommy, I don't think that man is Jewish. And I was like in my head, oh gosh, okay, we're about to have this really important conversation, you know, about skin color. And, and I said, well, why don't you think he was Jewish? And she said, because I wasn't wearing a yarmulke. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's have a conversation about how not everyone who's Jewish necessarily wears a yarmulke. But like, I thought she was for sure going to bring up his skin color. And she, she didn't. And um, she was more focused on the fact that he wasn't wearing yamaka, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, but I always thought, you know, like we've interacted with people of different colors. We have neighbors of different ethnicities and she's never seemed to see a difference. And I always thought that was sort of a positive thing. So Yafi, can you uh, touch a little bit on this issue of color blindness versus seeing color? Um, what what that kind of means when people bring it up and what do you what do you think is the appropriate thing in the situation um for sure so i just wanted to say though in relation to everything that bakia and you and alana have said one of the main reasons that i wanted to do this and something that i think is so beautiful about this and important is that and it kind of goes hand in hand with everything surrounding colorblindness which is that you should I don't think people should fixate on differences. I don't think that's healthy. I think that creates borders and fences between people. But I think to acknowledge differences is very important and to be aware of differences. That to me is like the most important thing in regards to colorblindness. Because so many people who I brought this up to and I pointed out that I think colorblindness is something that really helps the passive racism in the Jewish community will say, oh, well, like I wouldn't want someone to be obsessed with the fact that I'm Jewish or obsessed with the fact that I'm overweight or super short or whatever it is that they have that makes them different. Um, and my response to that is that, yes, of course, I don't want anyone to fixate on any one part of me, especially not something so external um, about who I am. Having said that, to ignore the externals and the potential effects that those externals have as that person walks through life in a world with other people and their views and their assumptions is very harmful because then it allows people very, very easily, as Batya touched on, to ignore racism. 
because then you say, oh, well, and this is something also that I was born into my community. So I don't have such radically crazy stories about racism. Like my siblings, for example, I'm the only one out of my family who wasn't born in New York. And my siblings, for example, jumped around a lot of different neighborhoods growing up. My parents moved them. Um, my father correctly moved them. And they did have to have a lot of these experiences that I thankfully didn't because I was born into my community. Having said that, on the one hand, while I wasn't dealing with very ugly to my face things surrounding racism on a frequent basis, I was dealing with the other end that on a day-to-day -day basis might not be hurtful, but can be very harmful. And what I mean by that is, for example, a very, a very close friend of mine was once speaking to a family member of hers. Um, and this is a very, very close friend. So I've been a part of this family at, this family's life for a very long time. And I see them as like a part of my own life and a part of my own family outside of just my friends. And um, this person was speaking to their family member, something surrounding race. This is years ago. This is not just a, oh, relevant to now, like recent conversation. And my friend said something about race and their family member responded. And then my friend was like, yeah, but think about Yafi using me as an example to make the person more aware, more sensitive. And the person was like, what do you mean? And my friend was like, well, Yafi is a woman of color. Yafi's black and Hispanic, by the way, but black. And this person's family member looked at them and they were like, what are you talking about? Yafi's not black. She's just, she's just Sparty. <laughs> and I laughed because, <laughs> listen, on the one hand, <laughs> Yes, of course, it's nice to not hear someone say something disgusting about your externals, especially when it's something that many people on the outside world do have a problem with. On the other hand, that ignoring of the fact that I am indeed a person of color, I am a biracial woman who is black, that allowed that person, by ignoring that, to not be sensitive to the issue at hand and to not properly think about what their actions and how they're dealing with this issue might affect someone and might affect even someone like me who they consider a part of their home. Um, and I think it's very important to try our best to combat colorblindness because I think it leads to so many, so many problems. Um, I think also you touched upon like, you know, your daughter and kids. I think it's very difficult. I don't have children yet, God willing, one day in the future, but I think it's very difficult to know how to approach this with kids. But I think that when people either ignore it or be worse than ignoring it are on top of ignoring it, not being sensitive to what they're saying about people of color around their kids, it really seeps into you. Um, I know that my father, once we were walking back from Shoal and he just shared because it's like, it's not even a big deal. It's just a thing in passing that some, he, my father has been a member of our community since before our community was a ginormous community when it was only like 30, 40 families. And so he has his like Kavua place in Shul that he always sits in. That's the seat and everyone in the community knows it. And so when he got to Shul that Chavez, the seat next to him was empty. His friend who also was an old timer like him happened to not be in Shul that Chavez. He didn't come. So it was an empty seat and someone young sat two seats over from him and that person came with their child and they told their child, sit, sit next to um, this man. And the child in the middle of davening <laughs> on a Shabbos looked at their father and said very loudly, I don't want to sit next to the black man. He's dirty. And my father was a very harif guy. <laughs> so he looked at the father of this little child and he just said, I wonder where she learned that from, you know?
you don't know. I don't know. I do my best to not judge people. It could be that it really wasn't from their home. It could be that it was from her school, from her friends, from her whatever. But this was like a four-year-old kid, you know? Even if her parents genuinely don't walk around life thinking Black people are all criminals or Black people are lesser than, just the mere fact that their daughter at such a young age had already internalized that Black is bad, Black is dirty, is a problem. And I think until people are willing to have uncomfortable conversations with themselves, nothing's going to change. I'm not speaking out, as I said in the beginning of this, to the people who are blatantly racist. I'm speaking out to the people who look at themselves and try to do the best in life every single day, who try to be sensitive, who think that they're, who think that they're being as sensitive as they can be. And I think that we all can do more. And I think that when it's not our personal issue, it's very easy to think that we're doing all that we can, when in reality, we might be adding more fuel to a very, very painful and harmful fire. So you, you, what you mean is like, that inaction of just being passive about it and uh, is kind of like what leads to that passive racism getting transmitted. Yeah, um, I also will say that, um, I'll add to that, I wrote an article and as what happens on the internet when you write things and you put things out there, people speak. And um, my article was reposted in a few locations and in one of the larger publications, I. I'm not going to say where, but in one of the larger publications it was posted in, that really had a very, very large reach. I was reading some of the comments, and a lot of the comments were really questioning the validity and the truthfulness of my experiences. Um, and I think that all of that is just like a snowball of all of these things, that when you're able to ignore it, when you don't let yourself be aware or recognize the differences, or when you only fixate on them in a negative way, it just all snowballs into a place that even when someone is coming to share, not coming to attack, like the Jewish world is my home. It'll always be my home, no matter what, you know, like I'm not going to anywhere to badmouth or anything, but it's something that I want us to do better in because I know that we can. So Alana, I'm interested in hearing from you about this because you mentioned how like you are always sort of like different in many situations and you find yourself being in this role where you have to like explain yourself. So I'm assuming that you've had to deal um, with this issue and also the fact that you're in um, a biracial family and you came into the family with um, kids who are how old by the way? Um, my daughters are four, six, and nine. Okay. So they already are old enough to have had some exposure. And then you joining the family as a, as a stepmom of another race, how did that play out? Um, and, you know, what's your take on how to like sort of educate our kids about colorblindness and how do you approach it when it comes up in your life, whether at work or socially? Okay, so I don't feel like I have to explain myself, even though I'm, I've always been different. I just usually don't find it um, challenging to explain myself. Like, I don't feel like I'm constantly having to, you know, from the time I was born, explain who I am and why I'm here. Especially, I, I should give some preface, like I went to the same school for nine years. So although I was different and I was the only one, it wasn't like every year of school I had to like explain, okay, I'm a black person. It's like, okay, they got it once I was there for kindergarten. Um, and my sister, my, my siblings had gone to the same school. It was more 
like maybe I was the only black person who went there since my sister 15 years earlier kind of thing um but as far as um okay so first I'll address with my family um so my girls are insular they're super Haredi um and I don't even know if they fully know what a black person is like my nine-year-old actually we ran into a Black Lives Matter march and I should give preface it's not just race that they don't learn it's they don't know the national anthem they didn't know there was a national anthem I mean there's many things that are missing from their lives that like I had in my life and I don't know if my husband had in his life because he also grew up um you know in a in a Hasidish home um I did not so I knew what the national anthem was and I knew things like that and those are things that um that as they come up I explain but they don't fully understand racism because they don't fully understand they haven't really been exposed I think I'm the first black person that they met. So um, I don't know, like I was embraced with open arms. So I guess they weren't raised by racist parents, but at the same time, um, they don't understand any of the struggles or why people are protesting or like why anything would happen unjustly in any way to any person because they're children and they haven't been tainted. And I think that goes back to what Yafi was saying about you know, the four-year-olds, it's like, children, I do think, are the only people who have the ability to not see things, although I do think that kids often see things first, like, they're the first to point things out that, like, maybe other people wouldn't point out or wouldn't notice. Um, When I was in kindergarten, I didn't know that I was Black. I truly did not know that I had different skin than other people, and I, you know, sent a picture in for bring your baby pictures to school day, And it was a baby picture that I thought no one would be able to guess that it was me because why would they, like, it didn't look like me. And, you know, not even thinking like, okay, there's 30 other people in the class and they're all white. Obviously they're going to know that it's me. That was not a thought that would have even crossed my mind. And this is a story that my mom loves to repeat because she thinks it's so hysterical that she had a child who literally did not know color. I don't think that that's a place that adults could be in, in a healthy way. Like we can't walk around. Like I remember doing an interview with someone whose daughter has alopecia and she asked me about colorblindness and I'm like, it's not real. Like if you have red hair, I see that you have red hair. If you have brown skin, I see that you have brown skin. And she's like, yeah, I know. Like my daughter has alopecia. Obviously like people don't pretend she has no hair. Like you don't walk into a room and people are like, oh, she has hair. Like it's pretty apparent. I don't think that we should focus on it, but I do think, you know, like it's been said by other people that that does bring other things into play that maybe we need to be aware about or be sensitive about. And um, in my experiences, I have met people who maybe never made a big deal about my race, but understood certain subtleties. Like I had a, I have a lot of Hasidic friends, non-Chabad Hasidim, and um, one of my friends was always telling me to like catch a Trump, especially like in like Lakewood and like in the bungalow colonies like sometimes like if I like if I couldn't find a taxi or she couldn't pick me up right away she's like oh just find some Hasidim and like go with them well she didn't understand like that that's not so easy for someone like me and I remember mentioning it to her brother-in-law you know that like in Israel that's easier because more people would assume that I'm Jewish just because of the location and I have caught Trump in Israel 
But in America, in a Hasidish neighborhood, it's not so easy for someone who looks like me to catch a tramp. So that's something that like, you know, my friend wasn't purposely, like she just lives in another realm. I think she is someone who is colorblind, but I don't think there are people who are truly that, that comes with other things of being like just on another level, if you will. Um, but I think that being aware that maybe it's not so easy for me to do that, given the circumstances of today is something that could be beneficial for a friend to know like, okay, Alana's not going to be able to so easily catch a tramp because of the way that she looks. Um, let's think of like a plan B or like maybe you're just going to have to wait until we get there, things like that. Um, I, I don't know the solution on a whole for education. I really don't. I just know that like with my girls, I take it day by day. I give them, you know, I try and answer their questions and answer them in a way that's appropriate for their age. And you know, it's, we're in the thick of it. So there's a lot going on, you know, there's a lot to tackle. And I don't feel the need to explain everything in one day. I know that like day by day, we advance further and further. And there's a lot of questioning on my end too, to understand what they know and what they don't know and what they understand and what they don't understand. Um, yeah, I think it's just evolving. <laughs> so do you think it's fair to say that, you know, when you're talking about seeing color, um, what you're essentially saying is being sensitive. Is that like yeah, a, a, a way to, to be, oversimplify it? I think we have it? to be sensitive. Yes, I think we have to be sensitive. To just sort of be sensitive that different people have different experiences and different things about them, even if it's an externality like skin color, means that they will have had and probably continue to have different experiences than you. And like, you just need to be aware and account for that and you know it's impossible to fully understand and like fully anticipate how everything you say or suggest might play out but like to just you know live with a little bit of awareness for sure um, i mean just do the best that you can i mean that's all we can do and Fatia, do you have anything to add on this i think just one one thing about the the color blindness um is that i i don't I think that's the safe route to go. And I think that is, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, like a cop out to say, um, oh, like I don't pay attention to colors or I don't pay attention to race. So, um, or that's not the most important thing for me. That's not what I wanna focus on. Um, so it doesn't matter to me because to me, when I hear that, it means, okay, so, you also don't know or don't see my struggle. You also don't maybe know or realize the experiences that I had, that I've had because of my skin color. Um, and I think that in order to, to have empathy and to start from a place of like, let's have this conversation like openly and, and fully wanting to learn, like listen and learn, you have to not, say and not coming from a place of saying I don't see it so like everything is cool because or like it, it's not really such a big deal and I don't want to focus on it um because I don't see it um there's a really interesting thing called the inoculation theory and basically it functions as a strategy to protect attitudes from changing and I think that has a lot it's it's really connected with with colorblindness because 
like I said, it just like, it takes race off the table. And I think right now, like, this is not the time to take race off the table because, I mean, not even right now, I think that just for the, for so long, it's been, I think, not a topic of conversation. And it's just kind of become something that is too taboo to talk about. Um, my dad, he, he grew up through Jim Crow era. He was born in the 40s. So like I hear a lot of experiences from him. And one thing that he told me that stuck out to me is that he said, I said, dad, what do you think about all this that's going on? Isn't it crazy to see like kind of history playing itself in a weird way? And he says, well, it never went away. It's always been here. And we've just always been invisible. And not invisible as in they don't see us, but as in it doesn't matter as well. Because when you don't, when you don't pay attention to something or when you are not awakening yourself to something that could be outside of your world or outside of your ideas and outside of your beliefs, it doesn't, it becomes irrelevant to you. And I really personally experienced that. I think with my husband is white and he comes from a farm family. He's from, from birth and I'm a convert. And, you know, now together we are a religious, you know, Jewish couple, but I think um, it's very easy for them to, like, yeah, say it. We have colorblindness. And, oh, you know, Baya, which I really love and appreciate. Like, we, you know, we don't see your color. We see past it. But I think also because of that, I really haven't, I've been really struggling to have these hard conversations with them. It's just off the table. It's not, we're not able to have the conversation. It's not because um, I think of fear or them giving me pushback I think it's just because it's like it's not so relevant to them um, I think I think what you're saying like maybe touches on that old adage in therapy that like in order to um in order to address in order to get help you first have to admit that you have a problem yeah. right like if you're not admitting that there's a problem you're never going to be able to fix the problem that's pretty obvious right and that's like what a therapist will usually say, or like what someone will say, like when they finally realize like, okay, this is a problem, whatever it is in their life, I need to get help for it. Right. Um, maybe we can extrapolate that to a broader societal level and say like, maybe when we say it's good to see color, we want to acknowledge that there is a problem in the fact that, you know, people are ignoring uh, race issues or the struggles of, people of different cultures who have been through different things. Um, and in order to address it, maybe the first step is to acknowledge that there is a problem. Is that, is that fair to say? Definitely. Definitely. I think that acknowledgement of the issue and wanting to educate yourself is like one of the most important steps. And I think that people um, should not be afraid to have these hard conversations with themselves and with their family and their community. And, and I think that people are a little bit um, hesitant to do it because of what it may mean for their identity and what it may mean for them in action. Like, okay, I know this now, now what should I do about it? Um, and I think that that's actually what is gonna be needed to bring about change. Okay. Um, so I think you kind of touched on this and I'm curious to hear from 
um, Ilana and Yafi. Ilana, starting with you, like, what do you suggest um, on the individual level, the communal level, like going forward, you know, we've opened up this conversation in so many ways, I, at least in my lifetime, it's pretty unprecedented, right? Um, there's so much awareness now, there's so much talk. And then the, the hard part is to think that possibly when things sort of settle down as they always do, um, is this something that's just gonna go away or are we gonna continue to do some work and make some progress? So what do you suggest um, both on the individual and communal level? Like how should we move forward? Um, I, I'm not sure how to move forward on a communal level. I'm, I'm like so in my house right now. I mean that like in a, in a physical and in a spiritual way. Um, but I know on an individual level, I would just encourage people to continue to break down walls and those walls could be physical walls. Those walls could be be like in our heads um anything that's separating us from another person you know i give the example that my neighbors you know and i have a very good relationship i bake challah for them very often um just yesterday my neighbor was like offering me wine and i had to explain that like you know we only drink kosher wine um but then she had this seltzer that she just bought that she wanted us to try it's just the being interested in other people and invested in them because the more interested and invested we are um, in others, the more we can build a relationship with them and it strengthens our world. Like it strengthens our community, like our individual community and it strengthens the other person's community, which makes the entire world better. Um, so I think anytime you're interacting with people, just remember, it's a chance to connect, whether you're on the bus or, you know, you're interacting with people at work. It's a chance to make a Kiddush Hashem. You know, this is, a, this is a Jewish platform. So I can say, like, everything that we do, we're representing Hashem. So are we doing it in a way that would make Hashem proud? Or are we doing it in a way where we're making barriers and making walls and, and really not working towards, like, this ultimate redemption, the ultimate ge'ula? And 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 that's different for every person. It's different how it's going to look is different for every person because each of us in the world are living different lives. We're, you know, have different sparks of light in us. But we should know that it's the choice is always to be compassionate, in my opinion. The choice is always to be dom l'chasput. Like, just to really, it's not going to maybe feel natural at first. A lot of people, if you've been living this, closed insular feel fearful life for a very long time to say hi to your neighbors even might feel awkward at first but just like taking those steps and saying i'm going to say hi to 10 people today or i'm going to take part of my shabbos food and give it to my neighbor or i'm going to donate to some local charity in, in my neighborhood that has nothing to do with me but that's investing in other people in the neighborhood whatever you're able to do on your level I think is important and I think it makes a huge difference. And right now where we are in the world, people are so fragile. There's so much mental health crisis going on um, that I think just remembering that everyone is doing the best that they can and giving people just that extra love is really important. I know that I appreciate it and I'm sure that other people appreciate it too. I completely um, agree with that. Um, 
you know, the outreach and, and just like keeping in mind all the time the Kiddush Hashem, I think is huge because the same way we can form opinions of people, one of you touched on it earlier, like I think it was you, Lana, that like if your interaction uh, growing up, the only people you know are of a certain color or maybe someone you had a bad experience or maybe someone other people said negative things about, um, that really shapes your your opinion throughout your life. And the same thing is true um, as from people or as ambassadors of God, quote unquote, like that's what we're taught from a young age, that Kiddush Hashem and, you know, because it, it's a two-way street, right? Like we want to create healthy relationships going both ways, um, you know, with other cultures too. And that outreach and just creating a general positive um, opinion for other people about ourselves, I think is so important. Yafi, anything that you have to add about moving forward and what you would kind of want to suggest um, that people do to keep the conversation going and to keep the momentum going a little? Yeah. Um, so I think this is like the hot topic on everyone's mind who's been entering into this conversation out of like a positive light. And the answer that I've come up with that is very global and may not be the answer for every person, but I think for the majority of people will make a ginormous difference on both sides is three part to me. Um, the first part, it's education, internalization and action in my eyes. First being education. I think that especially for those of us who grew up in America, it's very, very easy to assume that we know black history. Most people don't know black history. Most black people don't know black history. Um, I spoke out for the first time about this on Instagram, which is how I got in touch with so many of you beautiful ladies. And um, a lot of people reached out to me saying, oh my God, I just watched this documentary. Oh my God, I just read this historical. Also, when I say education, I don't mean movies like The Help. The Help is a really great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. It's awesome, but it is not factual. And more than that, The Help ends on a very nice, hopeful note, which is very nice but that wasn't really how history was feeling for most people back then. So when I say movies and books, I'm not talking about novels and fiction. I mean, nonfiction. Um, there are nonfiction works that are shorter all the way up to dissertations if people have the time and the interest intellectually. But I think that education is the first step that is really key and vitally important because I think all the sensitivity in the world ultimately can be very much so hindered and sometimes even rendered useless without proper education. I think when I think of it as a Jew, if someone doesn't understand what my people have suffered through throughout thousands of years, even if they think they're being sensitive, it's easy for them to think that they're being sensitive when in reality, if they learn that the word XYZ, you know, or that this event happened and therefore it's not funny to make a joke out of it, you know? So I think it's hard to really be fully sensitive if you don't have proper education. And I think that many of us make the mistake um, very arrogantly, I myself am a victim of this, of assuming that we know all of history. And I was so heartbroken, but also so uplifted to see how many people were trying to educate themselves on black history. And you would be floored by the amount of things that people told me, some seemingly obscure and some very well known, at least in my opinion, of events that happened in this country to black people that people were very surprised by. So that's the first step. The second step, which I think is really the most uncomfortable and the hardest, is internalization. And that to me is the personal and psychological aspect of that. There are a lot of books that people can buy that deal with racism on a psychological level. 
Um, people can also just have, sit down and have a fishbowl nefesh with themselves. They could sit down and have a DMC with themselves. They could even do it with friends. But I think there are a lot of uncomfortable questions at this point in time that we need to be asking ourselves, especially as those of us who do care and feel that we aren't contributing to the problem, but are aware that we might be doing so inadvertently. Um, and I think a lot of these questions might help us to be able to more properly recognize the things that we might be doing intentionally but more often than not unintentionally that are really hurting those around us and hurting the overall environment um, and the last thing to me is action and that also is very difficult but action to me is not the same thing for everyone there's been a lot of pressure on social media to speak up to do whatever and i think that's very important I will never back down from that, but I also think that's not for everyone. You know, some people don't feel comfortable speaking up in that way. I think that action can mean a lot of things. It doesn't have to mean resharing a story because that can be very transparent sometimes and not really have a lot of thought behind that. But action could be, you know, the next time you hear your friend making a racist comment that might seem very small and almost like a non, a non-important thing or even a joke to say, hey, you know, like that's not so sensitive you should be aware of that. You know, the next time that someone's telling some hilarious story about the Schwartz at the Shabbos table to speak up and say, you know, like, even if not then in the middle of the Shabbos table, to even go up to the person afterwards, behind the scenes, you know, like, there are so many excuses that I've been hearing from people. Oh, like in terms of education, well, I don't live in an area that isn't insular. So I don't want to expose my kids to people who aren't from, okay, well, your kids can be reading history books then, or you can be reading those books. And in terms of action as well, it doesn't always need to be a public thing. It can be a very, very quiet, personal thing that is done behind the scenes, but I think it's imperative. Well, I think that's, a really awesome and succinct summary and i i think it really wraps up the conversation so well and and um you've given like this important framework um for people to really know what to do moving forward and hopefully people do take some action but it's 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 hard for people that do want to do something and do want to take the momentum and do want to be the change but then it's like well what do we do um so i really appreciate that you summarized all that so nicely um and I just really want to thank each of you individually, Batya, Yafi, and Alana for joining me. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the fact that you're willing to be here to educate um, is so appreciated and so valued. Um, and I don't take it for granted. Um, and I really thank you for your time. Uh, I think each of you has given a unique perspective and I love that we got to hear from each of you um, as individuals, although you share these these two really major common threads of being from women of color, you also come at it from different experiences and different perspectives, um, but with a lot of commonality as well. Um, so thank you so much for being here. And um, I hope that our listeners really gain, I, I think I have a lot, um, and I really hope everyone else who's listening will too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Thanks. Bye. All right, bye-bye.